From the boardroom to the locker room, sport captures the imagination like little else. In this podcast, we talk to the men and women who make the big decisions and those who make the big plays to find out where sport is and importantly, where it's going. But we do so through the only eyes that matter, those of the fan. Welcome back, everybody, to Are You Not Entertained and to a brand new two-parter. Brought to you by the brilliant folk at Falcon and Associates, who are the team behind staging some of the great sporting events in Dubai, including the Dubai Desert Classic, the World Cup of Racing, and the Emirates Rugby Sevens. In the second of the shows that we'll do, Grant, Roger and I will do a bit of deep diving about the future events in the UAE and in the region, as more and more announcements seem to be made about major sporting and cultural events coming to the area. But in this, our first show, I'm going to focus just on golf. Because as you may have noticed in the world of golf, there is a fair amount going on and it hasn't finished yet. And it's just brilliant that Falcon are supporting this show because Dubai is no stranger to staging major golfing events, most particularly the Dubai Desert Classic, which is an event that's really, really steeped in history. It was actually the first European tour event to be staged in the region in 1989. That's 34, 35 years ago. And the granddaddy of the many other tournaments that have since been staged in the UAE and the GCC region. And I guess was in many ways the first torchbearer for international golf as the then European tour reached beyond the traditional boundaries of Europe. And the event this year was simply a banger, with a certain Rory McIlroy winning in a nail-biting finale with live protagonist Patrick Reed snapping at his heels in typically controversial style. You just couldn't have scripted it better. And I think it would be fair to say that in the past 20 years or so, golf has had to endure and adapt to several tectonic shifts that have thrown up huge opportunities, but also mega challenges that have rocked the game to the core. Golf is by nature a game of diversity, a game where men and women, old and young, can all play with the handicap system. And in the last 20 years, we've seen a huge growth in both the LPGA and a rise in numbers of young women's golfers. And in 2016, to add to that, golf was welcomed into the Olympic movement, which provided golf with avenues to reach out to a far wider audience. But I wonder how successful that has really been. The digital and tech revolution has thrown up some really interesting developments for the sport. On one hand, young people can access and consume far more through digital channels, meaning that their attention spans are less and far more distractions are available than when I was a child. And all sports are facing challenges from digital gaming and other competition. But businesses like Topgolf have created a blend of the virtual and the physical. And digital innovators such as Clipped create far more immersive experience in golfers than was ever the case in the Jurassic period. COVID too presented the world of golf with a major crisis. But for golfers, the golf course actually became a haven, a maskless oasis for people to play and watch the sport. And it actually grew. But in the past 18 months or so, the men's professional game has had to contend with a newcomer, a proper disruptor, the Live Golf Tour, which has an agenda to modernise and shake up the very status quo. 
And for a game that didn't fundamentally change very much in 150 years, the last couple of years have been something of a revolution. So, to help us make sense of where golf is, where it was and where it's going, who better than to welcome one of the most successful Irish golfers in history? Porig Harrington and I are about 60 days apart in age. And during my 12 years at the top table of golf with HSBC, we spent quite a lot of time together. He is a deep thinker about the game and never short of an opinion. He's been a pro since 1995 and since then has won three majors, six times on the PGA Tour, 15 times on the European Tour, four times on the Asian Tour, and now four times on the PGA Tour Champions Tour. He was the Order of Merit winner in 2006, European Tour Player in 2007 and 8, and PGA Tour Player of the Year in 2008 as well. It's some roll call. He also represented Ireland in the Olympics in 2016 and was the European Ryder Cup captain in 2021 in Whistling Straits. Because he's old, he joined the PGA Tour of Champions last year and on the 26th of June won his first senior major at the US Senior Open. He's done it all, so let's get him on. Please welcome Porig Harrington. Porig, a very warm welcome to Are You Not Entertained? It's lovely, lovely to see you. I've caught up with you in Dubai a couple of weeks ago, which was lovely. But thank you for, for coming on the show. There's so much to talk about in golf. And, and I always feel that you were the one who was always able to share with me the real insight of what was going on. So, so thank you for, for, do, for doing so. Um, I, I read off your, your sort of list of achievements um, in your career, which is astonishing. And you and I are absolutely the same age. So I've achieved nothing in golf and you've done it all. When you look back, on, I mean, you've got plenty of time still to, to, to play and you are playing on the, on the seniors uh, over in America. But when you look back on your career today, is there a particular highlight that you just are the most proud about? You know, I, I've been very lucky that I progressed at every stage in golf. So when I was a junior, I was a junior golfer. I didn't play outside that level. Then I was an amateur golfer, senior level, and I succeeded at all levels. So when when you, you know, maybe making the Walker Cup in 91 was such a big deal or making Ireland in 1990 or, you know, winning the World Cup with Paul McGinley in, in, in 97 was a huge deal in, in, in uh making Ryder Cup 99. There's just so many milestones. Clearly, the obvious one is winning your first major. Uh, I've been lucky enough to win three majors and, and I got three different experiences in those majors. Your first one, I, I played great. I was probably certainly tipped as the best player who hadn't won a major going into it. I was right in, the, in my pomp at that stage. Uh, you know, had a phenomenal last round, uh, messed up the 72nd hole, which always left something wanted. You know, when you mess up the last hole, that's not how you feel you should win a tournament. Uh, got a second chance in the playoff, won it. So it was very exciting. And and, and certainly, yeah, your first major, your, your first is always going to be very special, very exciting. I was, my second one in defending the Open in 2008, I won that one exactly how you would write it down. If you were a teenager writing down how you were going to win a major, you know, I yeah. played great, swung the club great, was in the final group on Sunday. There was a drama with having Greg Norman there. It was the marquee, 58 years of age. Could he win another major? And I was very worried about Greg Norman because I always believed that the golfing God seems to give everybody an extra tournament, you know, a win late in their career. And I was 
just media, everything was, it seemed like a dream was good because he deserved more majors, Greg. He played so well in his career. Uh, so I was very worried about that, but it, it added to the occasion for me and it was very satisfying. And then I won very quickly. I won the PGA the following week, in, or two weeks later in Oakland Hills, three weeks later it would be. Uh, and I kind of was in the right place at the right time. I nipped in right at the end of it. Sergio looked like he was going to win it. Uh, I had my own troubles that week. I wasn't well. Uh, and I kind of just hit a few great shots at that right moment. And, and I won't say... Yeah, you'd know this from your, your rugby. So I got an exciting one the first one. I got a very satisfying one the second time. And the third one was just a little bit ugly. And you know what? Sometimes that's the most fun when you get one right at the death that, you know, yeah, winning when it's a little bit, ah, you know what? Everything didn't go to plan, but I just got the job done. So uh, look, the three majors are the highlights. I, I You know, I, 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 somebody was asking me for a book the other day to talk about Tiger Woods' win in 2002 and I, in the Bet Page Black US Open. And I was like, okay, yeah, I, I, I don't remember much about it. I remember it was a great golf course, very difficult, uh, you know, which would have played into Tiger's hands at that stage. He was a, you know, the best player by, by a mile. And uh, I remember, as I said, you know, I remember I chipped in three foot at the last for a double bogey to drop down from, as it turned out, from four to eight. I remember the disappointment of that. And the person pointed out to me, says, well, the reason I'm asking you about Tiger was you played with him on the Saturday in the final group. I had no recollection of that. So I've had some very nice highs in my golfing career that playing with Tiger in the final round of Bet Page back on the Saturday <laughs> it wasn't, it wasn't even, I had forgotten wasn't even on didn't, my radar. Didn't even a register. You you come from, um, I think, pretty sporting family. Why did you um, play golf, or how did golf select you? What you have in Ireland, you have a lot of options. Um, yeah, and you I, come I, from I a sporting played, family. I played everything. Uh, one stage, I was playing for three teams on the weekend, three different teams wow. every weekend. I played. I was a goalkeeper, so I played two soccer games and one Gaelic game every weekend uh, when I was about fourteen. Very much in demand, goalkeepers. A lot of golfers are goalkeepers, by the way. We give up goalkeeping because right? it's so miserable. And then we take up another <laughs> miserable sport. <laughs> but you, you, like how any how anybody would be a goalkeeper. If you let it in, it's your fault. And if somebody else scores your winning goal, you don't get, you know, you don't get the glory. I, I totally agree. My daughter was a, was a hockey goalkeeper and got to a sort of a national school's final level. And I proudly went to this stadium somewhere and it was the worst 80 minutes of my life because it was agony, not wanting to, to if, as you say, you let the ball in, it's your fault. And if you save it, you're expected to. There's there's no yeah. upside. I've I, I got to say, though, I, my, my own kids now, uh, this week I've been to a few rugby games uh, yeah. and my youngest son is playing schools rugby. And it's a big deal over here. I wouldn't have known this growing up. I didn't play rugby. Wow, I was nervous. So nervous. Yeah. Now, my older kids... Do you kid, think more nervous... Do you think more nervous than you've been playing competitive sport? Oh, Miles more nervous. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah much more nervous. Yeah, yeah, like really churning, pit in the stomach nervous. My older kid, he's out of, out of school and he's playing like under 20s rugby. And it's, I watch him playing, it's great fun. They're just there to have a good time and play. God, the school's rugby is so, like it's so serious. I couldn't believe it. Uh, but yeah, I'd rather be playing <laughs> well, myself. Because you're back in Ireland now, aren't you? You're living in Ireland yeah. now. I still live in Ireland, yeah. I, I've, 
always been basic. But going back to how I started playing golf, my father was a top class Gaelic footballer. So right. he played for his county, would have played the, the big championships in Ireland. When he retired, he took up golf. He was a policeman. After a while of playing golf in Dublin, I realized that young policemen coming to Dublin couldn't afford to join golf clubs. Possibly, you know, it was a very exclusive game back then. You know, it was snobby in many ways. There wasn't as many golf courses. And a young guard, whether it was wages or whether they didn't want them or whatever, so they built their own course. Uh, that was 15 minutes from my home. And that's wow. where I hung out from the from the age of four. That was my playground. So it wasn't... And this is the truth with all sports. And you, everybody listening here with them, you don't choose a sport for a kid. The sport chooses him. And it's usually the whatever is available, whatever the friends are doing, whatever is, you know, if there's a club down the road that they can walk on their own, it's the convenience of being able to go out to the pitches and train and do your stuff on your own. If the sport, if, if the parents have to bring the kids to the sport all the time, it just loses that little bit of, you know, the kids just like to be able to, the convenience or, or the, the, the locality or the just the ease of playing a sport is really what attracts kids to it rather than necessarily you, you, the sport picks them. Well, I, I must say, you must feel a great deal of pride, but both as a father, but as a proud Irishman, and, and you're seeing it now with your national rugby team having such success on the Six Nations currently and widely tipped to do well at the World Cup, which they've not done so well. But yeah. I, I'm the role models that you and, and Rory and others, in terms of, I imagining, inspiring generations of golfers in Ireland, again, you know, re- renewing that, that, that inspiration and now seeing the rugby players presumably doing the same, that must make you feel very proud as a sportsman that you could, you, you have a legacy of of inspiration. Yeah, well, well thankfully the Irish rugby have, I, I've gone in and spoken to this team and, and teams in the past with, with some, uh, hopefully some words of advice to talk to a few of the individuals too outside of it to, to help them along because I can remember back in the day getting great piece of advice off uh, uh, Keith Wood at a BBC Sports Awards actually it was back in the uh, I think it was 1989, and he said to me, and I still use it every talk, every motivational talk I give, whether kids or adults or whatever it is, you know, he said every time he made a mistake, he did two simple things before he tried anything again to build up his confidence. And it's just like in golf, it's the same thing. You don't, if you've made a mistake, you don't go attacking the pin straight away. You wait, you build your confidence, and then you attack pins when you're feeling good about yourself or good about your game. So, you know, I learned from them, and thankfully, I, I'm that age now. I've had my success that, you know, whether it's Gaelic teams, hurling teams, rugby teams, I've even talked to, even talked to musicians uh, about handling the pressure and the, and the judgment. I think that's probably the biggest thing when it comes to sport. Uh, you know, it's trying to handle all that judgment that comes with, which is good. Remember, if I go and sit and watch the rugby or if I go and go down the pub and watch a soccer match, I'm going to be commenting on why is that player playing and what, what do I know? Like, but that's natural yeah. for everybody to have that bit of banter and discussion. What we wrong is for the player to pay any heed whatsoever to what rating the newspaper gives them or what rating his auntie says or his mother. The only people that matter are your teammates and your coaches. And that is it. Nobody else's opinion. Uh, you know, and I don't mean that in a bad way. I just mean you've got to keep yourself away. For myself, I've never read anything written about me since I'm 18 years of age. Something upset me. Right? 
Yeah, well, I, I don't live in North Korea, so I can't control the media. So in the end of the day, something upset me. And it was innocuous, but it just upset me. And to this day, the only way to not let them in, and this is really hard with social media, really, really hard because it's always there, uh, is not to read it. I find that I find that interesting because the temptation, presumably, sometimes is if you've played really well, is you might want to hear the glory of what people are talking about you as well as if you play badly, it's probably horrible to hear. But when you're when you've won a major, you might want people to go, that was one of the great rounds, one of the great shots, etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. And you probably want the temptation probably wanted to get the get the glory of it. Yeah, well that that's it. You believe the good stuff, you know, you're just building up that pedestal <laughs> for a bigger fall. Uh I think that you that you've got to really stay away from the good stuff. That that's the one because it is you know now you you're going to get feedback. You're, there's no you're not. I don't live in it. Nobody lives in a in a bubble. You're going to hear feedback, but just to minimise what you're getting, reading and and worrying about what somebody's job maybe is to rate how you play or give an opinion. Worrying about that is is not going to do you any good. Uh, so the less you you get involved in it, uh, the better. Just the, and, t- and you tell win. me something. You're playing on the PGA Tour of Champions, which is the, the the older gentleman's tour, let's call it that. Is that any more or less pressurizing? Is it more fun because people have been there and done it? Or do you get just the same level of of, of pre, pre-tournament nerves? How, how does it feel working on, on that tour? Well, one thing I didn't realize, and, and it's why it's called the Champions Tour, is every time you hit a good shot, because you have people out watching, you have good crowds, especially in, in non traditional golfing markets to get a big crowd turning out uh, and every time you hit a good shot it's not just a good shot then it's actually a bit of validation for all the great shots you hit back in your in your career so you, you, you're reliving your glory days by going out there hitting good shots by going out there winning so there, there is there is that side with that I just didn't expect how much I'd enjoy waving to the crowds especially as I hit good shots you know, if, if I was playing terrible, you know, maybe that wouldn't be so much fun. But when you're playing well, you're reliving the past. And the second thing is, you know, if you've got a chance of winning, in the moment, pressure is pressure. You know, it, it's the pressure I feel trying to win is no different there than on a regular tour, is no different than it's actually I'm better at it than somebody trying to win their captain's prize. I can tell you what, the the, the amateur who's trying to hold a putt to win the, the medal or the captain's prize He's feeling the same pressure with far less capabilities of handling it than, than I am, but it's only the same pressure. So pressure, there's always something that brings the pressure and you're always looking for it because you know you're alive. Uh, and definitely trying to win a tournament is trying to win a tournament. I like it. I, I will say the Champions Tour is more relaxed in the sense of, you know, if you don't win, ah, it's not so bad. I don't think, yeah, uh, yeah. No, you know, I will say having no cut just makes life so much less stressful. We, we, you can't, I cannot tell you how, we must be the weirdest sport ever. The cut line is just a horrible, horrible place in golf. No matter how there's nowhere to hide, are. right? Is there? There's nowhere to hide. It is what it is. Yeah, yeah, you're just, you've, yeah, it's failure. And you don't get that opportunity to, to find your game on the weekend. You know, it, it shouldn't, like what, what, job in the world would you turn around to people and say oh well you know if you miss the cut you get an extra two days off everybody go oh we get two days off I'll take that <laughs> yeah and golf and, and and you know obviously making the cut and finishing down the end of the field you're getting 
you know, it's pittance in terms of, of the of, of the prize money. You're not making money doing that. You're 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 but for some reason we're very hung up on that in in, in golf making the cut. Uh and it just not having it on the Champions Tour is oof, it's a relief. So yeah. Well we'll, come, well, we'll come back to that with 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 Liv, which we can talk about in a second. But I just wanted to quickly ask you that the, the winning the uh, the US Senior Open last year in 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 June that must have just been magnificent, wasn't it? Yeah, you know, I'd never won a USGA event, and I I done pretty well in US Opens. I, strangely enough, I always felt the US Open was my best chance of winning a major. Uh, they really suited me. The tough test and the, and the type of test was 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 right up my street. Uh, so I never won a USGA event. I didn't play any really of the junior ones. So it was nice uh, to come out there, win the senior uh, big golf course. I I turned up that week and like yeah, you couldn't have found a better golf. I was surprised. Basically, a lot of people always wonder what the golf courses are like. So we play a lot of country clubs. Sometimes we play these golf courses that, you know, they'd have a lot of white stakes on them for our bounds, which kind of scared the life out of me. A lot of houses. Sometimes we play old championship golf courses, which I like. So when we go to an ex-tour course, I've got a great chance of those courses. Uh, but the US Open Soccer Valley, we turn up and wow, it was a big golf course. I was shocked. Uh, it was exactly the same setup as I would have seen at a US Open from the early 2000s. So same length, same amount of rough, exactly the same. Obviously, we've moved on since then. But if if you're if somebody's interested to know what the course is like, that was exactly like playing the U.S. Open in the early two thousands, the real U.S. Open. Wow! But obviously, we hit the ball further now, and and, and that. But so there, there, it was a yeah. it was a golf course. To be honest, that a lot of the you know certainly the older Champions Tour players just weren't capable of of distance wise and moving it from the rough. So it was a big advantage for me. If I couldn't win there, I was in trouble. I mean, presumably when you're you're young on the tour of champions, I mean, you really do have that physical advantage. If, who's the oldest player who'd be playing on on that tour? Oh, well, Bernard Langer is the it, Bernard Langer is the oldest, most competitive player. So he he won this year, and he's sixty five. He's sixty four wow. or sixty five. He might be sixty four, turning sixty five, and he won. You've seen a lot of golf. You're now on the on on uh, at the senior end, and. Golf has been one of the most written about sports in the kind of sports news media in the last 12 months for obvious reasons with the emergence of Liv. But before that, we had the the, the reintroduction of golf into the Olympic Games. It, it's been in the news a, a lot. And I suspect with, and before that, you had the, the mercurial brilliance of Tiger Woods and how he maybe transformed a game, not quite single-handedly, but maybe had more effect than any other individual since Arnold Palmer. If, if you reflect, because we're two old gits now, and, and reflect on your beloved sport, where, where do you see golf in 2023? Are you alarmed by the changes? Are you alarmed by how the kids are more into digital and technology and maybe a little bit more sedentary than when we were kids? What's your sort of old man phlegmatic, looking back, looking forward approach on on the sport you love? Yeah, it's it's, uh, it's certainly interesting times right now. Uh, I think golf, you know, Tiger was massive for the professional game of golf, no doubt about it. Uh, strangely, COVID was incredibly positive for the amateur game of golf. The amount of people who took up golf or came back to golf during COVID 
the reality with golf, and this is something that you know we we've always had to fight against in golf. Golf, you need to be rich, but people confuse that. You actually need to be rich in time. You need time to play golf. It's not money; it's time. Like golf is pretty cheap in Ireland, but you need to have the time. You need to. So this is why we we always have this big issue in golf from like thirty to forty years of age. We have a massive dropout in golf because if you've got a young family, who's got the time? Who's got the time to give up eight hours on the weekend? Obviously, in COVID, everybody had time. So all of a sudden, golf was was back on the, the table. So hopefully, we're going to keep some of those people in the amateur game. I, I wish everybody played golf. Yeah, I, I find that, you know, I think it's good for your well-being. It saved the lives of so many people in terms of, you know, if you went and saw ex-sports people who've got time, rock stars who've got time, taxi drivers, priests, anybody who's got time, you know, time can be very dangerous for people and golf occupies that time, becomes quite obsessive. Uh, so, yeah, it, it, I think the amateur game has really found itself. What we've got to do now is get people to understand, well, two things. The people who don't play golf, you know, generally have a preconceived idea about the type of person who plays golf. But as I said, it's your barman, it's your taxi man who plays golf. That's who's out there. It's people with time. I would say probably the biggest participation sport for middle-aged women is golf, especially if they if if women aren't working. You know, maybe they've, they've got the kids in school or something like that. The, the amount that play golf again, it's a time-consuming thing, and you've got to find time. So it's trying to convince people that it's a game open to everybody, and then secondly that you don't need to spend four or five hours playing. Go play six holes. Go play nine holes. Go to the driving range for an hour or two. Go practice. I built a putting green at the moment. Uh, there's a public park in my area, uh, Rafarnham, and I've built a, a, a basically a half-acre-sized putting green that's free to use for the public. Uh, so just walk along. It's it's not open yet. It's It's finished at the moment. It's looking pretty good. Uh, and you just walk along, pick up your putter, go hit a few putts for 10 minutes, for an hour, whatever you want to do, just so people can get the joy out of the game. And again, we've got to focus a lot in for the amateur game of how the clubs are crying out for, for people to join. They really want people to join up. This is not the image that you know TV would have portrayed in the 80s and things like that. Golf's not... I'm sure you can find a golf course like that if you want, but golf is not like that. It's local clubs that need people to support it they want members uh, men women everybody they need juniors the juniors are highly encouraged now uh, you know it's it's get those people in and make people understand hey you can come down and play golf in the summer you can start your round of golf at nine o'clock in the evening and play you know 12 holes I used to do that uh, so it, there's you just don't have to make it into eight hours and th- that's the tough part professional golf Wow, things have changed quickly in that. Uh, Liv, yeah, it's been interesting. What is interesting. your take on Liv? I mean, you're what in a, in a sense you have a bird's eye view of it. You know all of the players who are either with Liv or who've remained on the traditional tours. You kind of must see it take a fairly a, a fairly kind of philosophical view of it. I imagine just just as an observer. Yeah, I, I, I'm of the opinion. Let them at it. See if it's a success. You know, if they believe they can, 
run a team format like Formula One and make it successful. If you don't like them, let them let them run it. Let them let them fail. If you think they're not, it's going to fail. But let them have a go. That's that's my attitude. I think there's plenty of room in professional golf for a number of tours. You know, at least two big tours, but certainly a number of tours. And I I, I do end up seeing this. The solution to this is going to end up something like the Indian Premier League for cricket. You you can remember how how like anybody who went there at the start was like, oh my god, this is your band. I think they actually banned them, didn't they, at the start? Yeah, it was not at all well received and everyone was very fearful. Now it's become a, an engine for helping the game grow. You're absolutely right. Yeah. And I, my, my feeling is, and I'm fascinated to know your view, is that it doesn't matter about the whys and wherefores of how the PGA Tour or DP World Tour handled things. I mean, threats are threats and people get defensive. But it seems to me that, as you say, if someone is prepared to put money down and to invest to help invigorate the game and they succeed to help grow the game, it's the golf will be will ultimately be the winner, it seems to me. And, and that's not being political. That's just more, if there's an investor, go for it. It's like big sponsors back in the day. Yeah, I definitely think that the, you know, the PGA Tour and the European Tour defend their own patch. That's, that's, their, that's what they should do. That's their job. They, they make their tours as good as they can. And I know a lot of the players who've gone, a, lot, a number of them are on my Ryder Cup team, so they'll always be my friends. I'm happy to see them have a go at it too. You know, people will talk about the source of the money and, and you know, you're just going down an endless spiral of, 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 you know, when it comes to things like that. In the end of the day, Saudi Arabia wants to become the number one destination in the Middle East. That's their biggest focus. They want to become a tourist destination in the Middle East for walking, for hiking, for everything. They, so Saudi Arabia, you know, they're not that focused on the rest of us. They're more focused on their own, uh, the Middle East, and being the, the number one place there. So I think people thinking that they're coming in, trying to take over the world, the Gulf, and, and trying to do, they're really interested in turning Saudi Arabia into a destination, and this is part of their plan. Uh, so there's value for them outside of an actual return on, on, on capital, there's value, you know, intangible value in becoming a de- destination. So that that's some of the reasoning, some of the idea behind it. Uh, you know, as regards the actual, you know, personally, I don't think isolation has ever worked. I much prefer inclusion. So, you know, would I necessarily agree with everything the way they run their, their show in Saudi Arabia? I wouldn't like to live under those rules. But, you know, I guarantee you, you know, if we looked in at our own countries over, you know, 20 years ago, certainly in Ireland, we still had mother and baby homes, which are just incredible. So, yeah, you know, things change over time. Inclusion helps things change rather than exclusion. And, and talking of inclusion, you, you um, played, I think you played, well, I know you played at the Olympics in 2016. You represented your country. What what a what was that like to to be an Olympian? You know, you're, you're an Olympian for goodness sake. You never thought yeah. that was going to happen Love in your that. lifetime. Love it. Love Did it. You? I'm an athlete. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm an Olympic athlete. I love doing. I love when people bring. Oh, yeah, I'm an Olympic athlete. I talk to have you, have you kept the stash? The, have you kept the the ta- tracksuit stash from being an, uh, an Irish Olympian? I still have. I still wear the shorts and t shirt. So they're six years old. I still have the, some of the casual stuff. Uh, <laughs> 
But I talked at the Olympic Congress to get golf into the Olympics. I remember. And I, I remember. You, know, I, you might remember because it was Rugby Sevens as well was going at that That's time. Right. Uh, yep. Yeah, I, I did the talk and it was nerve-wracking, you know, because you had to... I, I like talking, as you can hear from this podcast, but for the Olympics, you had to you you had to stick to ninety seconds. You had to pre prepare what you were going to say because the interpreters had to see what you were going to say beforehand. So it wasn't they weren't they they're not interpreting on the fly. They're actually give they they know what you're saying. So you have to stick the script. Which yeah, that that's you know it's so easy to get up and talk when nobody knows what you're going to say. It's much tougher to get up and actually have to say exactly what you were what you what you. <laughs> pre-planned so yeah it was it was great that we got in I, it's so good for the game of golf and i was gonna say do you think golf has harnessed it you got it you were very much part of that getting the sport in and this is a sport that plays for young and old boys and girls everybody it's a very inclusive game as you rightly say that anyone it's just time is the requirement nothing else do you think looking back from well i think it was 2009-10 when you probably did that congress and then 16 was the first playing and here we are in 2023 so we're going to france next year do you think golf is maximizing horrible marketing word but go with me um the the olympic opportunity or could it do more i'm sure it could do more but the whole idea this so in the traditional golfing markets it's going to take time for the olympics to become a big deal. It's sorry, not it is a big deal, but become as big as the majors. It will take time for them to be, you know. But in a hundred years' time, I'm sure Olympic gold could be worth more than a major because look, you know, there's one of them every four years, not not four a year. But that's going to take time in the traditional markets. The big benefit, and this is why I suppose the powers to be in golf were, were so keen to get into the Olympics. It's in the non-golfing markets the non-traditional golf markets. They don't understand. I can go to uh, somewhere close, like Turkey. We play an event in Turkey. You go there, they don't know what majors are. Three majors, oh, that's very good. Oh, it's like tennis. They have grand slams. All right, that's a major. Oh, you played in the Olympics. Oh, that's great. So like if if somebody in Turkey was writing my bio, they'd go Olympic athlete, three-time major winner. You know, they'd always put the Olympics at the top because that's to them that has a known value. So uh, we like to think golf is big, but there's there's more countries that have no understanding of golf and majors uh, than we think there is. There's a lot of countries that it's just not on the map. Uh, I'm sure if you, you know, pretty much all the Eastern Euro- European countries, the Olympics is the pinnacle of sports. So, you know, uh, there's a lot like that. And that's why we need to be in the Olympics. That's why it's so important. But there was pushback from certain traditionists in golf but they weren't looking at the bigger picture. They weren't, they, you know, they're stuck in their own little market. And, you know, as I said, golf is so big in the US, Canada, Japan, Britain somewhat, obviously growing in Korea. But, you know, you go outside those markets, you know, it's not that big a sport. Well, it seems to me there are two calling cards that golf has, the global one, which is the Olympic Games, to your point, to all those 200-odd countries who are part of the Olympic movement. So that's a, a showcase for the game, Um on one time, but the other major showcase, maybe more for the sport internally, is the Ryder Cup, which you've been a massive part of as a captain, a player, God knows how many times. Um, are you excited um, about the Ryder Cup going to going to Italy and to Rome? Are you? Uh, is it something that, having been a captain, having been a player, uh, is, is it? I, I bet you're pleased that you're not having to 
being poor old Luke Donald and having to wait on which team he can he can select. But is it? Are you excited? It should be. We should be building up and looking at one of the great occasions in sport uh, in September. And yet we're all sitting here now, and we're still not sure. We don't know who's going to be eligible, who what the team's going to look like. It's certainly losing some of its bite. The Ryder Cup, you know. When I started, I played first time in 99, I had to be introduced to some of the US team. I'd never met them. Now, you know, the players are pretty much, yeah, you know, they're very familiar with each other. Maybe Europe this year is going to produce a few rookies that are just going to be, you know, European-based. But it's very hard going forward with the way that the schedules and the, the new systems in place to see that all 24 Variety Cup players aren't going to be all playing on the PGA Tour. And that means they're all playing with each other each week. That means there's an element of, of, of comfort between them, an element of friendliness and less of the old Seve Ballesteros, which I grew up playing, playing Variety Cup with his attitude of chipping a shoulder. We're as good as you guys. You don't let us play in the majors. You don't give us the opportunities. That's all gone. Uh, the game is more global now. So, uh, and I will say I was the first to say this and I see it being said more and more, but I certainly said it sort of five, five months, six months ago. 20, 20 years time, it's going to be the PGA Tour against Liv and we're all going to tune in to watch that. Yeah, well, you may be right. I, I, a question I've never asked you on the many times that we've uh, broken bread on tour somewhere around the world. Um, now that you're in your in your dotage, you're an old man. You're you know you're probably slowing up a bit. Have you ever thought about being an administrator? Would you ever like to wear a blazer on a sort of permanent basis and help the game along, or or not at all? Yeah, well, I, I'm I'm an ambassador for the RNA, uh, so I do help along that way. Uh, I do my own coaching, Paddy's Golf Tips on YouTube. Uh, I help out as much as I can, but. I will say, you know, four or five years ago, I was would have been burnt out in the game of golf. And I, I was looking at what's happening in the game and what I wanted to do. I did a bit of commentary and loved it. I uh, did a bit of coaching, loved it. But then I kind of realized after a while, I actually loved playing golf. So I, what kind of what happened is I, I'd missed out in the FedEx Cup in the States and I came back to Europe and I played a few events in Europe. Uh, and the run in Europe was... Prague, Hamburg, sorry, Prague, Cron Montana in Switzerland, Hamburg, Amsterdam, London. Who couldn't enjoy that? Like, we just took it to five venues. Plus, there was a few Irish lads out on tour, and I was hanging out with them every evening, and we were going out with, and it's at that time of the year, September, Champions League football. I had a great time. And what I kind of realized is look, I love playing golf. As a pro, I can go to the best golf courses in the best condition. Everything's set up, ready for me to go. Who wouldn't want to do that? If you were retired, that's exactly what you'd want to do. So I can do this as a competitive pro. But why was I burnt out? Well, I was burnt out because I was trying to go at the same pace I was going at 15 years ago. I can't do that pace anymore. So a simple way of explaining it would be 15 years ago, if the lad said, right, we're going out for dinner eight o'clock I'd go mm, you know I've got physio I've got to be in the gym I've got to do this and I do my own thing I, plus I had a big group around me you know my family travel with me now I'm out there on my own pretty much myself and my caddy are out there for pretty much full time 
somebody says there's dinner at eight o'clock, I'm changing my plans and going to dinner at eight o'clock. As in, I'm fitting in and enjoying the lifestyle on tour. Whereas, you know, it's not work for me in any shape or form. And and it's a new release of life. I, I could be playing better golf now than I've ever played. Well, you played very well in Abu Dhabi. I know that. And um, you look like you're rolling back the years. Tell me the importance of, you mentioned um, Ronan, your caddy, who's been with you for, God knows, a long time. And what, yeah, what, how many years did that be? Amazing. So... Give 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 our he listeners in a bank. Give, as did I, but doing a slightly different job. What give give listeners a, a sense? I mean, two thousand four, nineteen years. You're good friends. You've you've travelled the world together. He's been with you at your highs and and lows, which of course is is the caddy's lot. How important is it? That, not so much the role of the caddy, but the role of someone being there for you, come thick or thin. Has it really helped? Oh, no question. Ronan, he was working in a bank, corporate lending, doing very well. And he took the job for three weeks as I wanted to get another caddy. So I sacked my caddy, was getting a new caddy, was waiting for the offers to come in. I needed somebody to caddy, got Ronan and we won. So we just kept going. So that's how it started. I often feel bad that I took him away from a career because he, he would have had a very successful career in the bank. I can guarantee it. Like no, nothing... He'd be running the bank now. That's just the reality of it. But it, he, he's had a good life, Caddy, and there's no doubt about it. He enjoys the life. Uh, and that, that's the truth of Caddies nowadays. You know, back when I started, a fair few of the Caddies would have been old school fun- functioning alcoholics who Caddied. Uh, now the Caddies are far more educated than the players. Uh, you know, all, all the Caddies, most of the Caddies are guys who nearly were pros, who failed as pros, went to college hoping to be pros, you know, heavily involved in the game, you know, intelligent lads, uh, good lads out there. So I think what people misinterpret with the job of carrying, the, the stuff of carrying the bag and doing the yardages, you, sure anybody could do that. That's that's There's no skill in that. So you're looking for two things. You're looking for somebody who can call the shots on the golf course when something needed to be said and when something isn't needed to be said that he's there clearly you want to have the trust of the caddy that he has your back you have his back uh, but in my case I probably was one of the first and it's happening more and more I took Ronan on as my caddy and he's a friend of mine uh, we would have grown up as kids he's slightly younger than me I was played golf with his older brother and we're married to sisters as well and uh, but I took him on because right at the start of my my taking my card in the States, and I recognized this, the States is con- incredibly convenient. And when you see something that's convenient, that means it's actually quite lonely. And it's so easy in the States. And I see players go over there, Europeans, and get completely lost. They're having drive-through or takeaway or room service at six o'clock in the evening and sitting in the hotel looking at the four walls. I have... And at six o'clock in the evening, he is no longer my caddy. I have a friend with me. Under no circumstances, you know, when we leave the golf course, he is not working for me. There's no, then that's a terrible, you know, you don't want that attitude. He is a friend and by no means will he sit in in the evening time. So we, every night, I've had room service five times in my life, I'd say. As in, we go out, we enjoy ourselves, we socialize, we talk about Ireland, we we mix and he's far more social than me, which is really great for me. He he can really he's really, really social. So it yeah, 
it does we have a good time off the golf course it's a release well, and, you know, Europe- and that and that and that really shows and I, I will just share with with the listeners is that in the time that i was uh, involved with golf for the 12 years i was working with hsbc if i um if i was coming down to the bar which was quite a normal occurrence in in my life I could pretty much guarantee that Ronan Flood was going to be there to keep me company come hell or high water. And that was always, for me, uh, it, just, it just made life a little easier. Life on tour for Giles Morgan. I, and he wouldn't be short of giving you an opinion, would he? No, he, he, I think I learned more from, from, from caddies about how the game is really run than, than anywhere else. Yeah. 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 yeah no, Ronan, oh, would, Ronan would be, he's very social, which, look, people don't understand that, you know, the worst thing, and business people listening to anybody, the worst thing you can do in your entire life is spend time in your hotel room. You will overthink things. You will, you got to get out. People think, I'm not t- saying that, you know, I'm not endorsing that in the tournament. I'm not going out drinking and partying in the tournament. I'm, I'm living a normal life in the tournament. I'm going out to watch the football match on TV. You know, I'm not sitting in my room doing it. It's just, I'm going out having a social dinner. It's just you've got to live your life. You cannot be locking yourself up. That you you you'll end up and, and and so many good European players have failed in the States because of that. They just get lonely. They yeah, I, I remember uh Soren Kelsen. This is a good and ter- this is a terrible story, actually. He had his card in the States and I, I don't start in the States until March. So I got there in March, myself and Shane Lowry, and uh, Shane, decent friends, invites him out for dinner. Saren hadn't been out to dinner for two months. He had the room service for the first two months because he, he knew nobody over there. Yeah. We brought him out for dinner. Nice, real nice steak restaurant. Big bunch of us. Might have been 10 of us out there. We played credit card roulette and he lost. I don't think he ever <laughs> wanted to go out for dinner again. <laughs> he got, his first dinner out, he got like a, like well, it was definitely four figures of a bill anyway. <laughs> <laughs> and and in closing, you were you were promising that you wanted to tell me a story about insomnia and and the world of golf. Do you want to share that with us? I, yeah, we were talking about sleeplessness, and uh, you know, I had an incredible story of of, of a neighbour of mine at home uh, lived in a semi-detached house, pretty standard in Ireland, and uh, he had pretty much for fifteen years he'd hear knocking during the night a tap 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 during the night so for 15 years he's been searching getting up in the middle of the night looking for this where is this tap 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 coming from and it's erratic tapping it wouldn't be consistent you know he's assuming he's got mice or something like that he's, he's I don't I think he's brought the exterminators in he's tried everything so strangely enough 15 years he's talking to his neighbour who's who his house is attached to and he said do you ever hear that tapping at night? I can't get, can't get the noise. I don't know if it's in my head or it's in the house. I just hear that tapping. And my neighbour goes, eh, I think I might actually have the answer to that. The neighbour says, I, I'm a bit of an insomniac. And I wake up in the night and I get up and I practice my putting. I think that's the balls hitting the skirting board during the middle of the night. For 15 years, he kept his next door neighbour awake and they had no idea. <laughs> <laughs> it's probably Tiger Woods. He'd have t- only he's about the only person who'd practice that much. My God, that's brilliant. Yeah. Corey, listen, I've taken up so much of your time. 
I just want to thank you very much. You're always so full of really lovely stuff. And I would love it if in a year or so I could get you back when maybe more is known about the world of golf and where it's going and what's happened with Liv and the Ryder Cup, if you wouldn't mind, because you've always been someone who's opened my eyes to, to what's really happening in golf. So if you do that, I would be enormously grateful. What's your, when's your next, where's your next tournament? Where, what's the schedule coming up? I'm, I guess, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm kind of caught between the, the playing the Champions Tour and the regular tour. So I'm going to play a few regular tour events to see if I'm competitive. Uh, I may end up chasing my tail all year trying to get a win on the regular tour. Uh, if I'm competitive, if I'm not competitive, I'll be straight back to the Champions Tour where, you know, I'm enjoying myself. And, and as I said, you just want to be in a place, you're, you're, you want to be in a place where you can win. I, I like I prefer to finish first in the Champions Tour than second on the PGA Tour. I'd have no interest in a second place, but a win, uh, a win is a win. So hopefully, I, I, as I said, I'm playing. I'm surprisingly playing really well physically. I, I feel like I'm better than ever. Obviously, I'm not the same innocence as I would have had back in the day, and, and you know, feels pretty deep. But I'm physically pretty, pretty damn good at the moment, and the, the putting seems to be back on track. And uh, yeah. I, I think I can go out there and give these kids a shock. Well, I think you should give these kids a shock. And uh, from all of us, are you not insane? Um, very, very best of luck for the rest of 23. And I'm sure I'll see you somewhere on a fairway and I'll be waving idiotically at you so you can just ignore me at your, at your, <laughs> at your leisure. <laughs> Yeah, you're saying you'll be on the wrong ferry, guys, yeah? Uh, yeah, looking in the wrong direction. Normal stuff. Nothing's changed. Yeah. It's lovely. Thank you so much for coming on, Parry. Thanks, guys. Good luck.